0: Well, we'll begin today. It's good to see everyone in their places with sunshiny faces. Gospel of Grace Fellowship, welcome. We're going to continue on in our study in Proverbs, but let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for our day. We thank you that we can gather together in freedom and learn about your word. We is that we look into wisdom about having long life here and now, that we would understand the greatest wisdom is found in the gospel where we can have eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom. I pray for our youth. I pray that they would heed these words. Perhaps even a young person may hear the words of Solomon and turn away from the evil path. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So last week, you remember, I had gotten into this passage some, and I just want to do a little bit of a review where we are. What I want you to think about is... Let me just back up one. Notice we're in Proverbs 4, 1 through 27. I want you to think about how in Proverbs... The wisdom that Solomon reveals is to lead to long life here and now, but I'm going to show you how the wisdom in the scriptures also bleeds and telescopes into ultimate salvation, long life forevermore. And so I want you to think of wisdom in the Bible is not just about long life now, but ultimately about having everlasting life. And so we see that a little bit even in Proverbs as it blends from the temporal to the eternal. But let's begin by doing a little review of where we were. And I want you to remember that we talked about the significance of hearing. Recall that. I'll pull up my pointer. Notice in red the term hear, Shema, or as you probably most often hear it, Shema. The hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. I talked about that term here means to both understand and believe. So we have to understand the Word of God, but we also have to believe it. And the idea in the book of Proverbs, especially when it comes to the wisdom a father gives to his son, if his son will not understand his words, normally they do understand it, but if they don't believe their father, they're not going to abide by the wisdom of the father. And again, that bleeds over to ultimate salvation with the Heavenly Father. If we understand the word but we don't believe it, we won't end up having salvation. And so that's what I want you to see is that the wisdom that Solomon gives for long life now can telescope and really look at eternal life later. Now, notice we talked about here in Proverbs. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. Again, the idea would be understand and believe what your earthly father is saying, so that things will go well with you in the land, so that you won't perish here and now. Again, the same thing is found in Proverbs 4.10. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Notice the long life that's promised. Remember in the book of Proverbs, there are general precepts and general principles. They're not to be regarded as absolute promises. In other words, any person can think of an example where you have someone who is godly who lived a godly life, and yet they died at a young age. That is not the point that Solomon is wishing to deliver. What he wishes to deliver is that normally, people who live ungodly lives, lives of the criminal element even, they end up perishing young people. And typically, those who live lives that are more pleasing to even their neighbor, even if they're godless neighbors, typically live longer lives they don't get hunted down by the police. They don't get uh, in fights and barroom brawls where they end up dying early. So that's the idea that Solomon is driving at. Uh, notice John 10:27. I related that hearing to Jesus' voice. If we're going to hear his voice, what does it mean? It means we understand it and we believe it. And if we do, what are we? We're his sheep. Not everyone is of the sheep. There are a lot of goats out there. In fact, the vast majority of the world are filled with goats. They don't belong to Christ. Notice Jesus said, I know them, and what? They follow me. Why? Because they understand and believe his word. If someone doesn't understand and believe Jesus' word, they're not going to follow Jesus. So that was the importance of hearing in that text. Now, I also talked about how there are only two paths in the book of Proverbs, the way of the wise And the way of the fool. The road of the wise or the road of the fool. You're on either one. That's exactly what Jesus taught us. Remember in Matthew 7, there's two paths. The wide path that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to salvation. Right? So that's what we see in the book of Proverbs. And you'll see that in this section. Again, Proverbs 4.12, the wise path leads to people not stumbling. They will not stumble. By the way, this is an inclusio where you're going to see the idea of stumbling again in verse 19. Verse 18, the wise path leads the person who has wisdom to have a day that is bright like the dawn. What does that mean? It means they're not in darkness. They don't stumble. They don't stumble into the various sins and piccadillos of this world. They live in a life bright as the dawn, the opposite of darkness. If you're on the wise path, verses 25 through 27, you don't turn to the left or to the right. You stay on the straight and narrow path, one that leads to life. Now, that's contrasted in the same section with the fool's path. That's the path of evil and wickedness, according to verses 14 through 15. The fool's path in verse 17 is where they drink wine of violence. They love to get their gain through violent, violent means. And that's why they don't live long in the land. They live short lives. The third element is they are on the fool's path and it ends up leading them to stumble. Does everyone see the inclusio? The, the wise won't stumble. Notice the fool will stumble. The wise is referred to in verse 12 there and you have the unwise, the fool in verse 19. And so there's an inclusio here about stumbling. Now again, we talked about Proverbs 22, six. Remember I had mentioned that when that passage says, train up a child in the way he should go, I talked about that phrase, in the way he should go is a third person pronominal suffix, which literally means, and I have a note here, it literally means in his way. So the rendering of this should be train up a child in his way, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. What is the natural path of the child in the book of Proverbs? It's the way of the fool. It's the way of the fool. So in our culture, because they're pagans, they believe you're born good and society corrupts you. So for them, the way of the child is the way of the wise. That's why they want the younger to vote. The young, Greta Thunberg should be listened to, not the 70-year-old who's had to live on this planet, right? And so uh, in Isaiah chapter 3, someone had mentioned this last week. They asked me, Eric, where do you see in in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah says that part of the judgment upon the people of Israel would be they would, they would be handed over to youthful leaders. It's in Isaiah chapter 3. Instead of having aged leaders, they were handed over to the youth. Why? Because God said, you want to act like the fool, I'll give you foolish leaders. Think about, and I won't get too political here, but there's a certain party that wants the youth and the young to vote constantly. Uh, well, we should lower the voting age. Why? Because they love the way of the fool. That's the way it is. So the idea in Proverbs 22.6 is that we have to break the youth out of their natural bent. They are born sinners. They are born on the broad path of destruction, and they need to be broken off of that. And that was the way it was for all of us, through the Word of God, that one day we came to faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Word, and we entered into the narrow path. That's the idea. And again, I want you to see the blending in Proverbs between living for long life now, which telescopes to the greatest wisdom you could have, the gospel, where you can have eternal life. They really go hand in hand. Okay? Now, with that idea then, that there's only two paths, here you have a passage in which a father, and I believe it really was rendered here by Solomon. He's looking at his sons and he wants them to learn the wisdom that he has gleaned so that they would be on the narrow path, that they would be on the path not of the fool but of the wise. And so in this passage, what is assumed as we're going to be reading it is that first of all, the parent, the father is godly. Because some of you, as we read this again, remember Proverbs is giving us general principles and I know all of you can think of a father whose advice would not, you would not want a child to follow it. Are you with me? I remember, by the way, I just, I'll just i tell you a story some years ago. I have a friend. He's a, he's a card. He's a believer, by the way, and I won't mention his name, but it was so funny. He, um, he was telling his son something he should say to one of the teachers. They were in a debate. I'll never forget his son said, I don't think I'm going to say that, Dad. <laughs> his son had to kind of tamp down his father's enthusiasm. His son actually had more wisdom at that moment than his, his dad did, and uh, I always laugh about that. But we all know at times where the father doesn't know best. That's certainly true. But what Proverbs is assuming is that what the father is giving is godly wisdom. Wisdom that has its origination in the scriptures. That's the idea. It's also assumed if the child won't listen, they're going to remain on the path that they started. Which is the path of destruction, the path of the fool. Those two things are assumed as we read this passage. Number one... Godly parent giving godly wisdom, a godly father giving the word. Number two, a child who either listens and is on the narrow path or won't listen is going to be on the the path of the fool, the wide path. That's the idea. So that's what we see here. Proverbs 4, 1 through 5, Solomon says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth." Now, dear ones, notice, first of all, the term "here." Again, what is our definition? The, just kind of the gloss definition of "here," like in Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The gloss idea behind Shema is not just to hear the words through the eardrum, but to really listen, to have understanding and believe. So the idea is typically a child will understand the words of their father, But they're always tempted to say, you know, Dad, I don't think you know best. I think I know a little bit more than you do at the ripe old age of 13. I'm finding that out. (laughs) Right? But that's the way it is. That's the way we all were. Right? But if they will listen, they're not going to make the same mistakes that the father did. That's the idea. If they will really hear what he's he's saying. Um, All of you know that also from your lives with your kids, but also in areas of expertise that you had. Oops, did I pop out? Um, all of you know from work, you've tried to give wisdom to coworkers, and they won't listen. I remember uh, being a flight instructor and trying to give wisdom to some students, and most of them took it in, but you'd always have that one who would kind of go their own way, and you had to worry about them. They were the ones who were going to bust the check ride. They were the ones who, on a cross-country, you had to really make sure they were flying on on good days because they would take chances you didn't want them to. And you all know of that. There's people who won't listen to wisdom. That's the idea behind here. You got to really listen, you got to really understand, you really have to believe. Now, notice here added to that in verse 1 is what? He says gain understanding. Does everyone see the term understanding? The term in Hebrew there, binah, means to not just have a rote level of knowledge where you can memorize something but really understand it. I think that that's implied. In fact, you see the same term in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel was given Bina, understanding of the visions that God had given. So, how did Daniel know what the visions were? Well, because God revealed it to him. So, Daniel didn't, did not just by rote cite the vision that God had given. He also was given the interpretation. That's the idea of Binah. He had the understanding of what it meant. Okay, and again, that was all graciously given to him by God. It wasn't because he was smarter than anyone else, but because God used him as a prophet, and he revealed it to him. But that's the idea of understanding, not just wrote, but really understanding what the Father is saying. Now, notice three things. I want you to notice verse 2, verse 4, verse 5. It's a crescendo. Notice he says, For I give you sound and teaching, Do not abandon my instruction, verse 2. Notice in verse 4, when this father was himself a son, he heard the terms, hold fast my words. And then verse 5, notice he says, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Notice this idea of holding on, don't letting go, don't turn away. All of this has to do with really believing the words that come from the father. That's the idea. Because if you believe, you don't turn away from it. If you don't believe, you'll turn away from it. I think that that is a very good segue or maybe a foreshadowing of what it looks like to have saving faith. If you really believe the gospel, you don't turn away from it. If you really believe it, you don't go on to something else. We all know of people who claim to come to Christ. But later in their life, as you find them in their, maybe you haven't seen them in a while, all of a sudden they have a different religion or a different gospel, a different Christ, whatever it may be. But they've left the true love that they began with. They have a different gospel because they never really believed it. Yes, Rich. Yeah, I love what you're saying here. Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish, haven't begun in the spirit, are you know being perfected by the flesh? Yes. So these people that seem like they're great Christian people... But then they turn to, like, food laws, or they turn to this, or they turn to the other thing. They never knew the gospel in the first place. Maybe yeah. they were, like, Armenian or something, or had some form of of uh, duty, but not a form of, you know, Ephesians 2, eight. you know, it's a gift, a gift of God, you know, and I, I've received that gift. Maybe that's the problem. They don't understand what the gift they've been given. Yeah, well said. Galatians 3.3, 3, how is it that you who began by the Spirit are now trying to be perfected by the flesh? They began with the gospel, but they departed from it. They went to a works-based system. And whatever that may be, Bob did a wonderful job teaching in the book of Galatians, and he showed, remember the phrase law works? And you can maybe comment on this, Bob. Law works is probably used by Paul to be used more than just for the Judaizing heresy. It's a wider, in other words, it can apply to other form of works. And I think you're right. I think in Galatians 3.3, the risk is that people would leave the gospel of justification and in their sanctification go to some other plan. And that absolutely does occur. What's very interesting in that scenario, Paul still assumes that the Galatians are going to hear him, they're going to repent, and they're going to come back. But if they do not, it is evidence, as you say, that they never did believe. If they do hear, they understand and believe and repent, then they were believers, Uh, Remember, even the Apostle Peter, uh, Paul had to rebuke him in Galatians chapter 2, because he who was a Jew lived like a Gentile, but he demanded the Gentiles live like Jews, right? That they would keep the food laws and circumcision, etc. So even Peter could fall into the folly of compromising the gospel, yet he was restored. And so that's the idea, is if we do make error, do we come back? will we listen to the instruction and come back? And that's paramount. In the book of Proverbs, again, these aren't absolute promises. The idea, though, is what's assumed is you have godly wisdom coming from a father. It's assumed that that's the case. And again, like Bob mentions, that's not always the case. And it doesn't mean that the child who's born to ungodly parents is condemned because of what they do. They're only going to be condemned if they believe and act in the same way as their parents. So what's assumed in the book of Proverbs is there's godly wisdom. What's assumed in the book of Proverbs is that with age comes wisdom, although there's the old saying, sometimes age comes alone. (laughs) Right? We all know that. There's some young people that have some wisdom, and there's some old people not so much. That's true. But it's talking about general principles, isn't it? Generally, in the book of Proverbs, it's assuming godly wisdom, coming from the Father. That's the idea. But very good caveat, Bob. It's important to remember that just because you are born to maybe a parent that didn't believe doesn't mean you're locked into that. It's very important to think about that. Now, anybody else on anything before I move on? Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Paul. Paul. Yeah, I don't want to be too
1: sophomoric about this, but uh, when it says hero Israel, they're a lot in the oral tradition, aren't they?
0: Absolutely, and that's a good point. It's a very good point that you raise. In, in other words, they didn't just have a Bible given to them by, oh, who are the people that put it in your hotel room? The uh, Yeah, the Gideons, thank you. Yeah, there wasn't a Gideon Society handing out Bibles to the Israelites, but you're right, they had an oral tradition. They would memorize huge portions of it. Um, I think the Apostle Paul, probably men like that, they probably had the vast majority of it memorized. I know that sounds shocking, but they had devices in which they would do that. If you read a lot of Hebrew and you actually listen to it, there's a lot of assonance, rhyme. You don't hear it in the English, but there's a lot of it. Um, The whole chapter 11 of Genesis, there's a rhyme that goes along, or assonance with the destruction of the Tower of Babel. And you can actually track the asinence, and it plays into this idea of the wicked. Humanity comes together, and they brick bricks. They're building a one-world order, as it were. They're building Babylon. And then God unbricks their bricks. (laughs) And the asinence just kind of picks up, and you're like, wow, this is... If you don't see it in Hebrew, it doesn't make any sense in English, but it's there. I, I shouldn't say it doesn't make any sense in English, but you don't hear the same effect. That's what I mean by that. But you're right. That would be devices to help them remember and so you're, you're right. They would hear in, from their teachers, from, from, the, from Moses, from those who were teaching, absolutely. So yeah, hearing is very important in their culture. Uh, let's keep moving on for the sake of time here. We're going to talk about wisdom personified. And Remember, Solomon often personifies wisdom. Notice he says, do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Now, again, Solomon here is personifying wisdom. Okay, and by the way, personification isn't strange to us. Most times you'll hear a sailor talk about the ship as a her she was running 30 knots if she was going five miles an hour. You know, she'll use a she, right? And so that's the idea of personification. Here we have wisdom being personified. And notice here in verse 6, he says what? Do not forsake her. What is the result of not forsaking the wisdom that comes here from the earthly father? The result is she will guard you. The idea is later in your life, because you have the wisdom that's godly that comes from your father, you're, gonna, you're not going to join in with the violent men. You're not going to join in with the way of the pagan. That's the idea. Um, love her and what? She will watch over you. These are roughly synonymous. Okay, so if you have this wisdom and you hold her dear, later in your life it'll serve you well. Now, notice in verse 7, Notice the beginning of wisdom. Now, we know for Proverbs 1-7, what's the beginning of knowledge or wisdom? It's the fear of Yahweh. That's right. Well, now he adds to that to acquire wisdom and to get understanding. Now, when we see this, I want you to understand that the term acquire and get are the same term in Hebrew. Kana, acquire, get, kana. The reason I say that is I don't want you to see the distinction in these two phrases that you see in red and blue as being a distinction between acquire and get. They are the same term. The distinction, I think this is somewhat what's called synthetic parallelism, where the author, Solomon, is adding to wisdom. He's also adding understanding. So they're different. So when we get wisdom, the term there for wisdom is kokma. The idea is we are learning how to use our knowledge. So think of wisdom is. Using knowledge at the right time in the right way for the right reasons. That's wisdom. So, think about the young man who, let's say he's trained proficiently in the use of a vehicle. But because he lacks wisdom, he does things with a vehicle, even though he's really good at driving the vehicle, he uses it at the wrong time in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. And he can get himself into a heap of trouble, even though he can technically drive the the vehicle very well. That's the idea of chokmah, wisdom. I had students, when I was a flight instructor, they had the ability to fly, but they would take chances that weren't wise. There was a saying in aviation, there are old pilots and there are bold pilots, but there are no old and bold pilots. If you're going to be really bold, you're going to end up not being too old, right? That was the idea. There's another saying, I'd rather be on the ground wishing I was in the air than in the air wishing I was on the ground. That's some wisdom too, right? Well, that's the idea of wisdom, chokmah, knowing how, when, where to use your knowledge. Now, the understanding, bina, again, is what we refer to Daniel being given by God where he understood the prophecies. He didn't just have a rote-level Understanding where he was like a tape recorder saying, the Lord said this. No, he was given the interpretation. So the reason I'm, I'm driving this home is when we look to the scriptures, we're seeking understanding of them. Not just that we memorized a text or a bunch of texts, but that we understand what they're saying. The understanding of the text is always more important than the memorization of the text. Think about when we often talk about the term meditation. Bob and I have had to deal with this over the years, the distortion of that. When David says that he meditated on the word, it doesn't mean that he sat there and went, oh, and then he was just hoping for something to happen. It meant that he thought about the text. He, He mulled it over. He was working on it all the time, thinking about what it means, trying to get understanding, implications. That's the idea of meditation biblically. That's been distorted by the pagans. They say meditation is empty your mind and just go off into the spirit realm. That's not biblical meditation. Meditation is not devoid of the mind. It is using the mind. And that's the idea of understanding. Bob, do you want to talk about that? You ran into meditation, the use of meditation in the improper way at the seminary, didn't you?
1: Well, not only there. there
0: well, all over, yeah. We're <laughs> in church. Right.
1: And it's invading it everywhere. They have a new app I saw advertised on the phone. And somebody has, like, a guru. Anybody else see that app? No. And you wake up and you click on the app. And it says, focus
0: on God. Oh, yes. I have seen that. Yeah, yeah it's like a prayer app or okay. something. Okay. No one has seen God. So what are you focusing on? Right.
1: Okay. and Good uh, point. The push toward the subjective, the mystical, yes. the obscure is uh, relentless. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. The and then they give you ways of doing like this neogram or whatever. Right. God gives us objective truth. Yes. And I'll be talking about that in the sermon in John 3, Jesus uh, of the very God the Son and tangible expression of things that are heavenly. Yeah. And yeah, no one's actually gone to heaven and brought back knowledge. Wow! The Creator came from heaven.
0: So Amen. Revealed it.
1: We need to uh, be aware of that. It's everywhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, people decry the uh, issues in evangelicalism, but I consider evangelicalism a mystical religion as it's practiced now. Yeah. If you look at how many books are sold, what's the content of the books? The millions of books are sold. The mystical, contemplative, yeah. whatever you want to call it, yeah. is prevalent. The objective, the clear, the biblical is
0: the rarity, and it doesn't sell a lot of books. That's right. So our walk with God is always going to be cognitive. Yeah. The mystics want you to go to feelings, abandon the rational that's not true meditation and understanding. As to, Oh, thanks, Bob. Thanks for commenting and helping out. Um, notice here in verse 8, what is wisdom going to do if the child will not let it go? He says, you know, prize her. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. The honoring and exalting of wisdom is the idea that you will no longer act like the fool, and therefore you will not be embarrassed, as it were, by your foolish ways. And so we all know kids that have embarrassed us or embarrassed themselves because of their foolish deeds, but the idea behind holding true wisdom that comes from the father is that one day the child can be on the straight and narrow path, the path of wisdom, and not be embarrassed of life and what they did. It also has to do, I think, ultimately, if we telescope it to eternal life, is the ultimate embarrassment, those who will be disappointed are those who are going to perish. Uh, Next week, I'll be mentioning the text from Isaiah 28, 16, where God lays in Zion a precious stone. It says, all those who trust in him will not be put to shame or disappointed. So what's very interesting is there's a lot of shame and a lot of honor that goes on in the world for those who find The wisdom of the gospel, you might be shamed now, but you're heading for eternal honor, reigning with the Lord. Do you know that you and I will be reigning over the nations with a rod of iron? It's promised to the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2 26 through 27, that if we come to Christ, he promises that we will reign over the nations with a rod of iron. So we're going to be reigning with Christ, and therefore we're not going to be the ones who are ultimately shamed but the ones who have honor. So when we read the book of Proverbs and we're thinking about honor in the temporary, always be thinking of how it bleeds or telescopes into the eternal. If you hear your earthly father, you might not be shamed and made a fool now. If you listen to your heavenly father, you're not going to be the eternal fool. That's how I want us to think because I think it's intended in the book of Proverbs and we'll see evidence of that later on. Notice verse 9. Again, wisdom personified. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present present you with a crown of beauty. The idea here is that we will be a f- pleasant fragrance to all those who are around us. Why? Because we live a, a life of wisdom. We live a life that is compassionate, a life that is loving towards others, not one that is selfish and Motivated by illicit gain. That's the idea. But also, that life will go well with us. Why? Because, again, the book of Proverbs deals with generalities, and generally people who are gracious, good, and kind are those who have less troubles in their life. Now, that doesn't, again, that's normally the way it is. We all know of exceptions. Where you Look at Nazi Germany. You say Corrie Ten Boom, the decent. Look at what the troubles she had. So we all know that there are exceptions to that rule. Again, Proverbs deals with the generalities of life, not the exceptions. So that's important when we interpret this. By the way, um, some of you will come across people that will use Proverbs, and they'll use it as absolute promises. This is, often, this is often done in the charismatic circles that I had come out of when I was a young man, where they will take generalities in Proverbs and they'll make them absolute promises. And then they'll pray the promise and they'll, they'll plead the promise. And, all, and if the promise doesn't happen, then they're, they're upset with God. The promise that we can take to the bank is that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. But you're not always promised, if you're good and godly, that things are going to go well here. It's generally the way it is. Remember, without generalities, you have no wisdom a lot of people say, well, that's just a generality. Yeah, um, you'll hear this oftentimes in political discussions where people will say, well, Eric, you're generalizing or um, maybe you're even stereotyping. And I'll say, well, yes, because without that, you have no wisdom. Listen carefully. Without generalities, it means you don't, you don't see any pattern to the world. You have no wisdom. But without specifics, you have no reason to have a generality. So, for example, anyone see the the discussion between Elon Musk and the reporter at BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation. The BBC reporter says you're hateful, and you're a bigot, and you're a horrible person. You know, the the typical from the left. And he's assuming Elon Musk is just gonna take it. Well, Elon Musk says, give me one example where you see that on Twitter. And the man can't come up with one example. If you can't come up with one example, then you don't have enough to build a generality. So here's the point when you're debating and you give a generality, give specifics. That's how you equip yourself for debate. Give the general principle and then back it up with the specifics. It happened here, it happened here, it happened here, and then now you got something, don't you? But we have a world of fools. And if any time you bring up a general principle that's obviously true because you have so many specific examples, they will try to beat you over the head and say, well, how dare you bring up this general principle? What you need to say in response is, well, if you don't have general principles, why are you leading anything? You have no wisdom. That's the issue. I remember hearing this all the time with professors when I was in, in college. They would say, well, that's a generality. I'd say, well, yeah, generally, if it's, there's a thunderstorm out there, you don't want to fly an airplane. Is that an okay generality? At least a little airplane. Um, We all have those. If it's raining, you probably want a raincoat. Generality, but it's true, right? So, without generalities, you have no wisdom. Without specifics, you have no generalities. Yeah. Uh, Back to this honor
1: statement, where if you uh, embrace wisdom, it's not going to be an honor. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I don't think it's on, Brian. Oh, okay, maybe die Okay, sounds uh, good.
1: The uh, Bob's often
0: tired. Here, we'll get you on tape here so we can... Thank you. The honor-shame
1: society that we yeah. see in the Old Testament, New Testament, and as time goes by, uh, you still see elements of the honor-shame. Pioneer days, you would see some of that. But then yeah. today there is no shame okay yes. we've got we've got generals that are men dressed up like women okay right. i mean we've got all this stuff going on that would be so shameful yes. and nobody cares that's right okay so when you throw all that out the window you get what you deserve
0: yeah it's a foolish age It's a foolish age, absolutely, yep. So one of the issues with that, Brian, I think you're right, is living in the foolish age, if you show wisdom, you'll be the one who's shamed. That's the idea. But yet we know from the scriptures that one day when the the Lord returns, those who belong to him or are shamed are going to be the ones who are honored, absolutely. That's why, by the way, Jesus calls us to have a childlike faith. The childlike faith doesn't mean empty your mind and have the understanding at the childlike level. The idea of having childlike faith is, remember, the child had no status in the land of Israel. So when Jesus calls us to have a childlike faith, what he's saying is, don't worry about your status. If you're worried about status, you will never belong to me because in this world, I'm shamed. So you have to get rid of the idea of having status with those who are shameful. And then trust one day you will be the one who is honored when the Lord returns. We're always living, not for now, but the kingdom. That's the idea. Yeah. Just quickly, I want to piggyback off of what Brian says. And perhaps you as well. Anyway, um, all of this talk about specifics and
1: generality reminds me you've got to have borders. And if you don't have borders, you're living in the land of fools,
0: I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Borders as far as the, um, the earth, like nations, etc. We're not just nations, but reasons. Boundaries, yes. You know, understanding. Yep, categories. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's right. Very well said. You know, the, that's the postmodern generation wants to tear down boundaries, categories. They claim you can never come to true knowledge. That's the idea of postmodernity, and you're right, we have to reject that. Yes, Carly. Does faith mean to be dependent on God? Is that what that means like faith has be dependent on God. Faith, absolutely. Trusting that he has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Absolutely. That's the idea of faith. So faith and trust go hand in hand. So if I were to have saving faith, I could synonymously say I trust in the Lord. Meaning knowing that I'm a sinner, but that he is the one who did for me, living the perfect life, dying a subsidiary death that's what I couldn't do for myself. I couldn't pay my debt. He did. I couldn't live the perfect life. He did. So you're right. That faith is a dependence and a trust upon the Lord. Absolutely. Well, good question, Carly. Thank you. Yeah, very good. So anyone else before I move on? So I'm I'm laboring this point how important wisdom is, but here we're going to see the wisdom of believing parents. And again, that's always assumed here. Notice in verse 10, He says, hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Now, dear ones, notice here, again, we have the hear. Again, understand and believe, right? And then we have this idea of accept, Not only hear what I'm saying, but accept my sayings. The term accept there, lakah, in Hebrew, means to seize onto. So think of, um, if you're going to get on a tow rope, you've got to seize onto it. You can't let go, otherwise you're going to be left at the bottom of the hill when you're skiing, right? That's the idea here, seize onto the sayings of the Father. Don't let them go. Okay, well, why would you seize onto them? Because you really believe they're valid. If you don't believe that the words are valid you won't seize onto them, you'll let them go. That's the idea that's being conveyed here. So again, this is about the temporary, but think about how that applies to the eternal. If we believe God's word, the gospel, we are those who are to seize onto it, we never let go, we persevere. That's the perseverance of the saints. Okay, That's the idea that we see, I think, telescoped into. So what's the promise? Well, the years of your life will be many. Again, temporary now, but one day eternal if we telescope it out to the wisdom of the gospel. In fact, turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 18. I just want to show you how wisdom can telescope from Solomon's earthly advice of a father to the commands of our Heavenly Father. So turn again to 1 Corinthians 1.18. First Corinthians one eighteen. It's a good reminder to see how the world perceives the gospel and how true believers should perceive it. First Corinthians one eighteen, notice it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Stop there. Those who are perishing, they let go of the gospel. They didn't seize on to it. It's foolishness to them. It's not valid. They never receive it. They don't hold on to it. That's the idea. But to us, notice it continues, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the very wisdom of God. We seize onto it. We don't let it go. Why? Because we know it's the only way to salvation. That's the kind of idea that I want you to see behind Proverbs, that the temporal always bleeds in telescopes into the eternal. That's how we should see it. So there's a lot of wisdom that we can glean here that applies To how we handle the gospel. Uh, Notice here in verse 11, oops, I hit my button, sorry. I've got a problem with my new computer. I've got a um, sidebar, it's all white, and so I end up having little issues with it because I can't see it. But notice he says, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. He says, I have led you in upright paths. Now, do you see the term way? The term way there is the term direct. And I think I don't know this for sure, but I think the name, if anyone knows of someone that's named Derek, I think that may come from the Hebrew means the way. That's what it means in Hebrew, the way or the road. So again, this ties into, remember, you're either on the way of what? The fool or the way of the wise. It's one road or the other. Isn't that what Jesus taught? You're either on the broad road leading to destruction or on the narrow road leading to salvation. So again there's correlation here. Verse 11, I've directed you in the way of wisdom, that's the road of wisdom. I've led you in upright paths. Here the term path is Magal. And here it has to do with a well-worn wagon path. Now why would would Solomon switch from just the normal Derek road to a well-worn wagon trail? I think the idea behind the well-worn wagon trail is the idea that this wisdom that you have, the upright path, is the well-worn way of the godly. It's the one that the godly choose. It's the one that there's roots in the road because they keep traveling on that. The godly do. It's, it's, it, yeah, exactly, yeah. Maybe that's the idea. But that, that's, what I think, why he's driving at that. Yes. Now, notice the term upright. The term there is yosher. And I want you to turn to 1 Kings 9, verses 3 through 5. Because sure has to do with the idea of having honest and an upright way according to God's standard. So in other words, you're living according to His commands. So turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 9, verses 3 through 5. 1 Kings 9, verses 3 through 5. I want you to turn there. Because here, what you're going to see is Solomon. Remember, he gives this prayer of dedication over the temple when the temple is dedicated. And then the Lord responds to him. And so listen to what it says, 1 Kings 9, 3 through 5. So remember, Solomon's temple has been dedicated. Here's the Lord's response. So the Lord said to him, "'I have heard your prayer and your supplication, "'which you have made before me. "'I have consecrated this house,' again, that's the temple,' which you have built by putting my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. By the way, that will be fulfilled in what? Messiah's kingdom. That's one of the reasons why we should believe in a millennial kingdom. Because the Lord will put his his person there, the Messiah, forevermore. He will always be reigning from Jerusalem, whether it's the Jerusalem here or the New Jerusalem. Notice verse 4. He says, as for you... If you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness. Notice the term uprightness, that's Yosher. Okay, notice how he describes Yosher doing according to all that I commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances. Stop there. That's the idea of Yosher. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is Yosher, this upright path, then. The idea of Yosher certainly has to do with living according to God's word. Solomon wants his son to live according to the precepts of God's word. That's what it means, to live in that upright path. Now, I want to continue the First Kings quote, though. Notice, what's the promise from the Lord, 1 Kings 9.5? He says, Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel Again, that's going to be established in the future, isn't it? Where the Messiah will reign. Uh, Read the latter chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Remember earlier in Ezekiel, you have the Lord departing His glory from the temple. That's Ezekiel 10 and 11. Where does the glory go? It goes from the temple to the Mount of Olives, and it goes up. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus says in the temple... Behold, I leave your house desolate. He abandons it. You will not see me again until... By the way, the until is important. He's coming again. You can't have an until for a non-event. You will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. Jesus, the glory of God, leaves the temple again. And where does he end up ascending from? The Mount of Olives. So it's the same pattern that you see in Ezekiel 10 through 11. When Jesus returns, where does he come back after the 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years? He sets his feet, according to Zechariah 14.4, on the Mount of Olives. What did the angel say to the disciples as they're gazing into the sky as Jesus ascends? Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, why do you gaze skyward? This same Jesus is coming in the same manner as you saw him go. So he's going to return to the Mount of Olives, and then where is he going to go? He's going to go back into the temple, and he's going to reign from the temple so that when you read chapters 40 through 48 about this restored temple, the Messiah is going to be reigning there, and there's going to be waters of life that are both real and they're symbolic. And they're going to flow, for example, in Isaiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel 47, they'll flow into the Arabah. Which is what? That's the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea will bring forth fish. Well, think of it this way. Do we have right now the Dead Sea having fish in it? No. No. Will we have in the eternal states when the new Jerusalem, the new, remember the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem come? Well, no, because there's no more sea. So without the millennial kingdom, you have no time period for that, right? But my point in saying of all this is that, yes, the Messiah is going to reign from Jerusalem, and that's where wisdom will be found. Wisdom will be found again in Jerusalem, and he will reign, and he's going to fulfill 1 Kings, just as Solomon had received the word of the Lord, that he would have a man on the throne forever. So this is beautiful how it all ties together. Now, let's get back. I'm sorry I'm getting off on a tangent. Verse 12, notice he says, When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run... You will not stumble. Notice the idea of stumbling. How does stumbling happen? Stumble, stumbling happens because of sin and rebellion. Um, we can turn to Luke. You don't have to turn to this. Let me just j- cite this for you because there's another passage I want to get to. Luke 17, 1 through 2. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come but woe to him through whom they come. The term stumbling block is scandalone. Uh, There's also a verb, So It's where we get our term for scandal. So the idea of stumbling is often tied to sin. What's interesting in that Luke 17 passage, he said, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into sea than he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So think of a little one in the book of Luke as being a believer. It's one of the precious ones. In other words, they're little because they don't have status in the eyes of the world. All right, so if you cause another believer to stumble off the path, it ought to, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Here, Solomon's talking about if you have wisdom, it'll prevent you from stumbling off the path. That's the idea he's referring to. Now, in verse 13, he says, Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. I want to talk about this instruction. The instruction here is certainly a parental one coming from Solomon. But I want to, again, I think that the book of Proverbs blends from the temporal instruction from an earthly father to instruction that comes from the heavenly father. And ironically, it's related to Solomon and David. I want to show you where we see this in the scriptures. Turn your Bibles to Second Samuel 7: 18 through19, and we'll close with this. Turn your Bible to Second Samuel 7:18 through19. Second Samuel 7: 18 through19. Now as you're turning there, remember, this is after the Davidic covenant was given to David by God. So God promises that he's going to establish David in his throne forever. It's the Davidic covenant. So if you recall, and again, turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 19. Recall that David wanted to build a house for the Lord. The Lord says, no, I'm going to build a house for you. And so after he gives the great Davidic covenant and promise, listen to David's response. He prays to the Lord. Verse 18, it said, Then David the king went in and sat before Yahweh, And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Notice he's just marveling in the grace of God. Verse 19, he said, And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning what? The distant future. Notice David. Stop there for a moment. David understood that the promises didn't extend merely to Solomon, but they were to the distant future. They were messianic. They were ultimately going to be applied to the Messiah. And by the way, it's not us reading into that. That's how the apostle Peter understood it. At Pentecost, Peter knew that David had spoken from Psalm 1610 that the Holy Wood would not see decay, that that was about the Messiah. So yes, David was a prophet. So says the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. So he's talking about the time of the Messiah. Now notice this. One of the most significant phrases in all of the Old Testament. This is David after he's been given the Davidic covenant. And he says, and this is now I'm reading from the NASB. But I'll give you what it says in the Hebrew in a moment. He says, and this is the custom of man, O Lord God. That is a terrible translation in my opinion. And I love the the New American Standard Bible, most of the time. But the little render, rendering is notice the term custom, if you have the NASB, it's literally Torah. It's instruction. The ESV gets it, its right. The way this should be rendered is David says, And this is instruction for all mankind, O Lord God. That's how it should be rendered. This is instruction for how many people? For all mankind. Because he's talking about the Davidic covenant from whom the Messiah is going to come and rule and reign. This is salvation for all people. It's instruction for all people. And if you won't listen to this instruction, you are forever the fool, you are forever going to be on the wide path of destruction, and you will never find life. That's the idea of blending what Solomon says, where he says, take hold of this instruction because you're going to have temporary life. David, the, the David, his father said, take hold of the instruction of the Davidic covenant and you're going to have eternal life. It's instruction, it's Torah for all mankind. That's the significance of the wisdom that comes from the scriptures. It leads to eternal life because the ultimate wisdom is found in the foolishness of the cross. Just as we read earlier in 1 Corinthians one eighteen. That's how I want us to see the wisdom of, That comes from Solomon. Yes, it's temporal, but it bleeds or telescopes into life that's eternal, eternal wisdom. So with that, uh, next time we'll just continue right on um, into our studies here of Proverbs. We'll finish up chapter 4. One thing I want to point out is notice the stumble. Again, that's an inclusio, and you'll see that again um, later. I think it's in verse 17, if I recall correctly. So that forms an inclusio. Okay, so with that, let's stop and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the wisdom that you give us from the scriptures that we can have wisdom that not only leads to a good life here and now, but also leads to eternal life in the kingdom to come. And we do pray, Heavenly Father, for Bob as he teaches through the book of John, chapter 3 today, that we would understand what it means to be born from above. They would understand the significance of the Lord's Supper. And we pray for us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would enable us to persevere to that day that you come for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.